and welcome. My name is Hanya Vidmar and welcome to my podcast. I will be your host. Please do subscribe to whatever platform that you're watching this on because I have scouted high and low the entire planet looking for some of the best people to invite onto the podcast to bring some incredible content, some incredible interviews and believe me you don't want to miss a beat. So if you go to my website www.haniavidmar.com, subscribe to the newsletter, there's a free course on there as well and every time a new person comes onto the podcast or if you subscribe to whatever platform that you're watching this on you will find out about the very latest episode so please do subscribe so you never ever miss a beat. I am super excited because not only is this my very first podcast but also because because on my very first podcast, I have got an amazing woman and it is an absolute honour to be able to sit down and talk to her. And when you find out more about her, if you don't already know, then you'll understand why I am ever so excited. Let's jump straight into it because I'm itching to get started. Before I got to know about Dory, I thought that my achievements were great. And I have achieved quite a bit since I was seven years old. But after getting to know Dory and reading her book, I realised I have got a lot of work to do. And ironically, she's helping me and she's helped me go onto the road again of achieving more things. Her achievements are incredible. And if you want to succeed in your life, in your business life, in your personal life, follow Dory, read her books, listen to her podcasts, watch her presentations online, go to her events. If you're lucky enough to have Dory in a city near you, go and see her speak live, just like I've done today. Please allow me to share her bio with you. It will blow you away. Dory is a marketing strategy consultant. She's a professional speaker and a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review. She's known as a branding expert by the Associated Press, Fortune and Inc. magazine. She's wrote several incredible books and Reinventing You is by far one of the best books that I've ever read. And I've read a lot of business and self-development books. And I'm not just saying that because she's sitting right here next to me. I genuinely mean it. Her book, Reinventing You, is one book that you need to stop reading whatever you're reading now and go and get Reinventing You and read that. The New York Times described her as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changing in their lives, and they've got that spot on. She speaks for a vast range of clients, and just wait for the list. These are the people that she actually speaks for and has spoken for. Google, the World Bank, Microsoft, Morgan Stanley, Ford Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Yale University. If you start researching Dory and read her books and listen to what she has to say, her ideas, her content, the way she does things, actually it wouldn't come to any surprise that she does speak for Google and and you know Microsoft and, and, and similar similar platforms. She was also the former presidential campaign spokeswoman and has lectured at Harvard Business School, amongst others. I can go on and on about her, I really can. Her achievements are incredible, her CV is amazing, but I want to save the, the, the rest for the interview because this woman has really changed the way that I look at things. She's changed the way that I plan things, she's changed my planning in a very successful and in a much better way and I know that she'll make you do the same as well. So if you are thinking of launching a new business, if you are thinking of you know adding a new project to your life or changing something in your business life and personal life, don't do anything until you've read her books or read one of her blogs or signed up to her newsletter. 
allow Dory to come in and help you on your journey. It, ha- it is honestly an absolute honour to have her on the podcast today. So please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Dory to my show. Thank you for having me. That's very kind. So today we're sitting in the cinema room at the Bulgari Hotel in London. Incredible venue, incredible event, incredible speaker. I'm so honoured that you have agreed to do this podcast with me. I've got loads of questions around public speaking and business, so I'm just going to go straight into it. So Dory, public speaking, why should we do it? Well, public speaking is useful for, for just about everyone in the sense that when it comes to so-called executive presence, which is a, a term that gets thrown around a lot, but uh, but is not necessarily commonly understood. This is one of the, the leading characteristics. And so the, the basic idea here is that if you work inside a company, or if people are just thinking of hiring you, whether it's for a consulting position or, or anything else, um, executive presence is, it's do you look like a leader? Do you sound like a leader? It's kind of this ineffable thing. And there was a study by an organization called the Center for Talent Innovation that actually surveyed uh, a wide range of top leaders to understand what was meant by the phrase executive presence. And it turns out that there are three uh, key drivers of this. One is appearance, right? You know, are you professionally dressed? Another is so-called gravitas, which is basically do you seem like someone that in a crisis could be trusted to keep a level head? The third part, which plays a major role, is your presentation skills, your oral communication skills. And that, frankly, is the part that I, I think a lot of people fall short on. They, they feel like, oh, well, in my job, I don't need it. I'm an analyst. Or I, you know, in my job, I don't need to speak up. The truth is, everybody needs to speak up. And so even if you never want to be an entrepreneur, uh, even just being able to succeed well at your job, look around. Look around at the people who are doing well at your company. Odds are they are good public speakers and there's a reason for that. How can we go in any situation from fear to flying? <laughs> so we can start with speaking and then you know kind of broaden it out from there. But um, I would say that if we're looking really broadly at it, the, the, first, the first part is the knowledge part, right? Because of course, if you don't know how a situation works, it it's natural to be a little bit apprehensive about it. So I would say trying to do as much research in advance before even trying anything is useful. And that's you know reading books, talking to people, um, just doing kind of background research so that you have a sense of, okay, here's how things generally work. So you at least know what to expect and you're not caught off guard in that situation. And then of course it becomes practicing in as safe of a condition as you can find it, right? So if it's public speaking, I mean, of course, it's gonna feel awful if you've never done public speaking and then it's like, oh, well, you know, here's, you know, here's this major sales opportunity and it's up to you and you have to perform that. That would be kind of a horrifying first start. Um, you need to practice in a, in a low stakes environment. And so, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's networking you feel apprehensive about. In that, in that situation, how do you make it low stakes? Well, maybe you have a really trusted friend along who's there to help you or to, um, you know, kind of get you out of a sticky situation if you don't know what to say or something like that. For speaking, it would be speaking in a place where there's not really a lot of consequence to you failing. You know, maybe it's a Toastmasters group or maybe you 
say, you know what, at this team meeting, you know, this, you know, let's, you know, say you've been working at a company for five years and everybody knows who you are and that you're a good person. Maybe at this like boring team meeting, you're going to present something if you've never presented before. And they're not going to think you're, you're a loser if you do poorly. Um, they, you know, they, they've worked with you for a long time. So low stakes. And what opportunities from your perspective can speaking create for us? Well, speaking creates a lot of opportunities in the sense that, first of all, at a very basic level, it's a way of making other people aware of you and aware of, of what you have to offer and your, you know, whether it's a product you sell or just the talents that you have. So there's sort of that, that awareness piece. Um, but it, it also, let's be honest, when you are at the front of the room, there's, there's kind of a, um, a magnetism that people attribute to the leader, to the person who is um, up at the front. And it, it confers a, a certain status. And when you have that, it allows you to have premium positioning in the marketplace. You can, you can increase your prices. You know, it, it just changes people's perceptions of you because you are separated from the crowd. What experiences have you seen personally, not from yourself, but other people who have transformed through speaking? Um, for example, whether it's their uh, confidence, whether it's their business, any sort of transformation that you thought, wow, incredible, she or he has done it. Well, one of the case studies that I actually share in my second book, Stand Out, is about a woman named Angela Lucier. And Angela started her job. Uh, she, 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 uh, she, did, she became an entrepreneur in the way that I wouldn't really recommend for people, which is that she just got fed up at work and quit. And was like, all right, I'm going to do my own thing. And so she, God bless her, she's, re she's really built a great business, but it's very scary. She quit. She only had $2,000 in the bank. And her rent was really close to $2,000. So she was under a lot of pressure. She did not have a lot of margin. And she decided that she needed to somehow get business. She was going to be doing uh, career coaching. And she realized that public speaking was the way to do it. Now, the horrible thing is that she was very scared of public speaking. But she didn't know another way to grow her business. And her back, frankly, was against the wall. So she went out and booked this massive number of of talks and um you know over a 60 to 90 day period she just did this blitz where in particular she was speaking at libraries and she was doing presentations for people that were um she, she did two sets one was for people who were already out of work and were looking for a job and then another set was for people who had a job but wanted to transition to something better and she just did this series of speaking engagements and that kick-started her business and she was really able to um to build something on the back of it but she said that she was terrified of public speaking she was getting you know all, all the worst ailments that you'd talk about you know the sweaty palms and the red face and and you know the dry mouth and all the fear response but she said she worked her way through it because she had to, and she really transformed on the other side of it. You share a lot of stories in your books about other people, their successes, and how they did X, Y, and Z, and examples. I want to talk about a story from you now. You have delivered a lot of successful presentations. One was today, incredible. But what's your horror presentation story one that you know still to this day probably makes you cringe or you're thinking oh my god how did then why did that happen share one horror story with us to make us all feel better well one time that i think of i mean it was it was not so horrible that like 
I had to like flee the stage or anything. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> but it was, but it did not go well. Um, was a presentation. It was like this. It was. It was a very high stakes presentation uh, because it was to a room full of 600 meeting planners. Wow. So these were people that really, you know, if if I had gotten them on my side, it could have resulted in a lot of business. You know, a lot. Uh, there could have been a lot of opportunities there. And so I think I was especially nervous because I knew that that was the case. And they had booked me for the lunchtime slot, meaning that people literally were eating lunch while I was talking. And so there was just, there was noises everywhere. And there were, there were servers who were, you know, coming across and walking around and, you know, who had the salmon? And it was no way it was just so distracting and so disruptive in this large room you know they're serving dinner or lunch to 600 people and i was you know trying to like keep keep on and pay attention and whatever but it was monumentally hard and the audience um they just they seemed so bored and so disinterested and just so much more interested in their salmon. And oh, it was yeah. it was really depressing. It was a really bad time. So you, I'm sure you've learned from that to say, no, I, I won't do the lunchtime slot or anything with, silly like that. I'm actually just really surprised that a convention of meeting exactly. planners would have that anyway. <laughs> it absolutely does not sound normal at all. Like yeah. today's event was incredible. We had you, we had networking, and then we had lunch, and then we come back in. That's right. We had lunch after I spoke. Exactly. Yeah, like exactly. civilized people. Exactly. <laughs> um, What's the best advice you've ever received? So I would say that the best advice I've ever received, there's, uh, you know, one, this is maybe the, the, the recency bias in terms of its application, but I would say it's, it's nonetheless uh, very good advice, is from my mom. And my mom used to always say when I was, when I was growing up, um, in order to, to get an invitation you have to give an invitation and I like that advice because I think a lot of people wait for things to happen to them well, like why aren't people inviting me to this or why are people asking me to do blah 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 and it, it, honestly it's just such an entitled attitude it's like well why should why should people do that like like you know it's not their right. it's not their job right, right and anyway I moved to New York a few years ago and I did not, I had acquaintances, but I didn't really have any friends. And so, you know, my social calendar was pretty vacant for a while. And I, I realized that that phrase kind of echoed in my mind that, that I, I needed to do something. It was, not, it was not upon other people to be inviting me out and filling my social calendar. I needed to do that. And so I really made a very concerted and aggressive effort to make friends and build connections and, and all of that. And it was, uh, and I've now built a great social life in New York as a as a result of Incredible. that. But it was it was from it was from giving the invitations first. Excellent. And sim- similarly, what is the best advice you've ever given? And I know your books are full of advice, better than advice. It's like do this and you will succeed. But what is it that you said to someone or 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 in a room and you heard an amazing success story out of it from your words? Oh, that's a really good question. Jeez, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. Actually, there's not like sort of one thing that stands out. I mean, I've certainly had a lot of nice people who have who have told me that that my work has helped I'm one them. Of them. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate. It. Well, actually, one one person that um, that I found was kind of touching 
was, and I actually wrote about this in the new preface for Reinventing You because they just released a paperback edition and so I did an updated preface. And so this guy, I love his story because it's, uh, you know, lots of people stress out about their reinventions, but, but you know, no offense to all the listeners out there. I feel like his reinvention might have been the most stressful because, um, because Richard was in prison and he, he needed to reinvent himself. And so anytime you're like feeling bad, like, oh, well, I was in sales. And it's like, no, Richard was in prison. <laughs> and he, he had had this, you know, nice, like kind of lucrative corporate career. And he had, uh, he had gotten in trouble for international bribery. And he, it was just this really elaborate thing and he had to go to jail. And so obviously reinventing yourself from that is kind of a challenge. And so he told me, he actually reached out to me and and we became friends um, as a result of this, but he reached out and said that in prison, he had read Reinventing You and he had read uh, some books by by a friend and colleague of mine named Deirdre Breckenridge, who does kind of marketing and PR type books. And that, that, you know, those two things had been kind of his uh, touchstones in his quest to reinvent himself. And he developed a really good strategy about how to do it. He positioned himself perfectly. His name is Richard Bystrong. And he, um, you know, because he went to jail for bribery, he has reinvented himself as a corporate anti-bribery and anti-corruption consultant. And he he goes and and speaks to companies about, like, here's how your people might become susceptible to bribery and here's how to prevent it and it's like boom no one's gonna be more credible than him exactly and he's just rocked it he's completely rocked it like the movie catch me if you can with leonardo dicaprio who was on the run for all this time doing all this fraud and then he became an advisor for the fbi or something helping them how not to game how not to be affected by us yeah perfect that's exactly right um what is your definition of success so i think that it it's really about about self-actualization to borrow a phrase from Abraham Maslow it's uh you know obviously success is different for everybody um but an all-encompassing way to think about it is just what is reaching your highest potential you know what whatever the highest potential is as you define it and as as you feel it in yourself and I, I think that if, if we can help more people do that, if, you know, I think it's, it's so sad when people get, you know, to the end of their lives and they're just like, well, you know, I never, I never really, you know, gave my all or I never really was able to, to do the thing that I feel like I, I could have done or was meant to do. That's terrible. You know, I, I, I want people to feel like whatever their thing is, you know, I mean, we've got different talents and skills and whatever. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a rubbish artist, for instance, but, you know, some people have, like, real artistic talent. Like, go, do that. And, you know, whatever your thing is, be able to do it. Excellent. And similarly, how do you pronounce that word? Similarly. Yeah. <laughs> similarly. Um, what's your definition of confidence? Because you look extremely confident on stage and you look like you're in your element because you are in your element. You're excellent at it. Um, but what's your definition of confidence? Yeah. Confidence is, I guess, maybe not not looking to other people for approval. Um, it's uh, it's having having the uh, the internal sense that uh, that every everything's enough. I mean, I, I think for me, like when I'm up on stage, the goal that I have is for me to have a good time. Yeah. I'm not I'm not really so worried about 
Like, I want other people in the audience to have a good time, but I think if you fixate on that too much, then you get, you get yourself in a loop. You get yourself paranoid. Like, oh, what was that? What was that flicker on her face? Is it okay? <laughs> and instead, it's just like, you know what? If, I, I feel pretty confident that if I can make myself have fun, I can make other people have fun. Excellent. So I might as well have fun. Love that. I absolutely love it. Do you get nervous before you go out on stage? Not anymore. Not wow. not for not for something like this. I still do get nervous for live television. Oh, really? But uh, but but for for a, just a speech, no. But they say that if you lose your nerves, it's it becomes like you don't enjoy it anymore. Is that true? I don't think so. Uh, no. Thank, thank I agree. <laughs> yeah. It's I, because you love what you're talking about. Yeah. It's and just, that's still you. I mean, it just it just feels like I'm having a conversation with you know, like friends over a lunch table or something. Now, people wanting to launch a business, what's the very first thing they should do? The very first thing you should do in launching a business is, uh, I mean, at a really basic level, it is understanding who your customer is and, and understanding your value proposition about, you know, well, what is the thing that I'm going to give them and, or, you know, sell them and, why why they should want to buy it from you why do people quit in life i mean of course apart from the obvious reasons but if you really think about it when you're on a journey of i love to do this and this is what i want to do and then somewhere halfway through they just quit yeah why why, why? <laughs> and I was probably thinking that that's a stupid question i quit because i had no money i quit because you know my relationship collapsed but really further deeper in why do we quit well I'll, I can, I can tell you a reason why I don't think people quit, mm. which <laughs> it's, 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 it's sort of this like new age mantra that I've never understood. And so your readers can feel free to send me angry emails if they disagree. But I, sometimes you hear, it's not that people quit because they're afraid of failure. It's that they quit because they're afraid of success. I'm like, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? Who's afraid of... <laughs> I don't even understand that. I don't. I've that seems ridiculous. That, yeah, that so seems preposterous to me. Who Like, we'd all like to succeed. I'm pretty damn sure. And so I, I feel like... I feel like that's like an interesting sort of Zen Koan thing to say, but I don't... I actually don't think it makes any sense whatsoever. I think some people quit because of tactical reasons. Like, you know, whatever. Like, they... Yeah, because they do run out of money or because they you know, whatever, their mom got sick and they needed to take care of her or something like that. But, but if, we're, if we're talking psych psychology, I'm, I'm pretty damn sure that 99 times out of 100, it would be that they're afraid of failure rather than afraid of success. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I have agreed. That's the second thing I've agreed with you today. And I'm going to ask you about the other thing that I agree with you in just a moment, because you mentioned it at the event, but I would love my listeners to hear it. What obstacles did you face in your life from um, September 10th, 2001? That's correct, right? Yes. You were laid off. Yes. From your secure career. Um, and then you, the next day was September 11th, which totally destroyed the world and everybody cancelled life that day. Um, and it was a, a horrible event. So obviously that was another setback for you. But between that day and until today, what setbacks have you had? Because to me and to, to, to what I'm reading about you, you are a very successful person. And to me, it seems like this, it was an easy ride for you. That's what it looks like. But was it an easy ride? And have you had setbacks and what were they? Yeah, so... So something that I, I shared during our during our session, and I can I can certainly sort of recap for your listeners, is that just in the early days of my business, probably like a lot of people's businesses, I 
I really was, I was rejected a lot for a lot of things. Like even, I mean, the, the part that's, that's really insulting, like it's not, it's not just like, oh, I didn't get that client that I thought I was going to get. It's like, it's like, no, if you lose out to somebody else, like that sucks, but you can understand it. And then the part that really sucks is when you're rejected for something you were going to do for free. It's like, really? <laughs> and so many, wow, many so times funny. I was... Uh, I, I tried to blog for various business publications for free, even though I had been a paid professional journalist. And they were just like, mm, no, no, we don't, we don't need your things for free. Um, and similarly for speaking engagements, I, I mean, you know, the, the best revenge, of course, now is that I get paid to speak, which is great. But, um, but yeah, I, I was offering myself up and, and really just like pushing hard i was you know sending out these these lovingly crafted packets and folders with dvds in them and all this stuff and and you know there were there were many many places that that never got back to me or rejected me um the one the one that i find most galling is where they kept pretending that they had never received it and just kept telling me to resend it and then i, I finally am just like you're just lying <laughs> so so yeah certainly there's there's a lot of rejection to overcome mm. for sure do you think nowadays everybody or most people need a mentor or a coach to succeed? I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a mentor or coach per se, but I think I think they need someone. And so one of one of the, the hobby horses that I've had for a while, and, and you probably know this from reading Reinventing You, is that I talk about having a, a quote unquote mentor board of directors. Because I think that, that a lot of times people invest a lot of hope in like, oh, who's this one older person that can take me under their wing? And that would be great. That would be great. But you know what? There's just there's not a lot of people doing that. There's there's not there's not enough to go around. And so you will be waiting a long time for that. I think that if if you have if you have a bunch of peer mentors or even people junior than you who know more than you do in a certain area, they can be your mentors and help show you the ropes in terms of what you need to know. Another thing you mentioned in your talk today, and we're going to talk about that very quickly as well, is newsletters. Um, we live in a digital era, so newsletters, Facebook Lives, you know, tweeting, all this online stuff that people want to do to launch an online business, which is an incredible, if you can do it properly, it, you know, it can make you a lot of money and you can have a lot of fun with it. Um, but what do you put in your newsletters? Because your newsletters are incredible. I read so many other newsletters and they keep writing oh, long things and I'm just and all about what they've achieved and how they've helped this client and what this client, but yours is something completely different. What content do you put into your newsletter that makes me cancel everyone else and I'm only reading yours? <laughs> this is the truth. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, sometimes my newsletters are stories, they'll be, you know, sort of stories about things that I've experienced professionally or um, just uh, kind of kind of telling telling people anecdotes from my business about things that I'm that I've gone through that that other folks might have gone through about various aspects of growing my business. Um, I sometimes will share resources, whether it's a colleague that's written a book or maybe a colleague has a uh, some kind of a like an ebook or a giveaway or something that I think would be useful. Maybe there's a free virtual summit that people can sign up for. Um, those are those are kind of some key things. Or, or if I have been blogging, maybe I've done a Harvard Business Review article recently, and so I might uh, send a link to that and kind of explain why I wrote the article. I think the key is having a user orientation, meaning that where a lot of newsletters go wrong is that it's just pure self-promotion and you know only a very very limited number of people in that person's inner circle would actually care um, but if it if it is uh, focused on the reader 
if it is stuff that actually speaks to who they are as a business person and stuff that they can find useful, then that's a lot more worthwhile to read. Excellent. And how did you build your brand? You share a lot of stories in reinventing you about how people, even like Richard, who went from prison, uh, uh, you know, in prison to becoming an expert in why he went to prison for. Um, but how did you reinvent yourself? So for me, one of the biggest drivers was blogging. I wanted to write a book. That was really my, my goal. I had started my consulting business and I wanted to write a book. And I got turned down by everybody because they, they basically just said the equivalent of like, you're not famous enough. And I, so I needed to go back and start to build my, my so-called platform, you know, build my brand. And because, there's a lot of ways you can do it. But for me, because I had been a print journalist, uh, the logical one was, was blogging. And so I started doing that. And that was really a turning point for me that exposed me to a larger, broader audience than I would have been able to have access to otherwise. And what compelled you to become an author? Why, did, why was this a goal of yours? You've uh, written some incredible books. Um, did, you always wanted to, did you always want to write about what you write about now? Or did you always just want to write a book? I, since I was a little kid, I just wanted to write a book. Okay, okay. And, uh, I, you know, so, sometimes goals just don't really have a rational explanation. It's just like, you want to do it. And so for me, writing a book was like that. I just felt like that was, a, that was a, a milestone that was for some reason important to me. And so I was going to make it happen. Excellent. And you did wonderfully. Um, what profession other than your own would you have loved to do? When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a spy. That was really. I really, I loved, I loved James Bond movies. That was amazing. I think, I think subsequently, you know, I'm a very like kind of transparent person, and so I think it would have been really hard for me to keep all the secrets. Like I would have done it if I had to. Like, it was my job. I mean, I'm good at doing my job, but I think it psychologically would have been hard. Like on your dating life, right? You can't. I mean, <laughs> that would have been so sad. So I think maybe it's not the best profession for me, honestly. But I did like the travel. I did like the glamour. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I like the idea of killing your enemies. <laughs> yeah, of course, we all do. Of course, yes. So so yeah, the spy is what is what would have been what. Would would have been really exciting at least when I was young there's an exhibition in London now James Bond in motion so if you're I think time, I walked past that yeah, yeah. Some card. my dad is the biggest James Bond fan he's seen the, the films honestly 30,000 times each one <laughs> so he's a big fan so he'll be a fan of you now as well nice what are you not good at um, don't say art again <laughs> you've already said art so that's right that's right all right the things that I'm not good at um I would say that um I, I really have to, I have to force myself to do things with numbers. Like I, I will make myself do it, but, um, but it's not, it's not something that I enjoy. Um, something that I'm actually really, I think quite bad at, unfortunately, is, um, is, uh, sort of like, like manual things, like okay, kinesthetic okay. things. If, uh, if I have to assemble something, okay. um, I get, uh, or like figure out from a diagram how to assemble something. I get so frustrated. I, I really, I think that I, I, I just, I like to tell myself that it's because other parts of my brain have been colonized and, and I am and I, able to use those, those parts of the brain to benefit 
other skills that I have rather than just thinking I'm defective because I'm really so bad at that. <laughs> I understand. I'm a, I'm a non-manual reading person. If I can't do so, if I can't build something or figure something out without reading a manual, mm. I'm not going to read the manual. I just can't figure it out. Yeah. My husband's the exact, he will sit and he will read a manual wow. inside out before he touches anything. And I just don't, <laughs> I can't, I'm just like, it's not going to work for me. If you could switch your, switch lives with anyone for 24 hours, who would it be and why? Oh, um, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean, geez, maybe, um, maybe Angela Merkel. I feel like she's like kind of the only sane person left right now. Like wow. she's, she's trying to, she's trying to hold shit together. Yes. You know, this yeah. woman is like, she's, she's the adult here and she is just trying to keep everybody calm trying to trying to keep the world from splintering apart so i so i appreciate i appreciate that resolve i appreciate the burden that is on her shoulders and i i feel like it's just very impressive to me what she's been able to to pull together and to you know keep her coalition just you know for for such a long time too i mean she's held power a really long time so it's really impressive excellent and in the event today, you mentioned something that I really want to touch on again, because I'm hearing this from so many different business women, businessmen, coaches, you name it. They always say, oh, you know, now is the right time. Stop making excuses. Tomorrow never comes, blah, blah, blah. If you're making the I don't have time now, it's not the right time. Unless you want to become a doctor or a lawyer, you're bullshitting yourself. And I personally... I disagree with this because if I look back to the last few years, I knew that doing what I'm doing today was not the right time. And at the time it wasn't the right time and I wasn't making excuses. But what's your take on this? Yeah, so I, I think the key is that if you keep if you keep saying now is not the right time and, and it's just that that's the constant refrain, like, oh, 2014, no, that's not the right time. 2015, no, definitely not now. <laughs> 2016, no, that's not the right time. Like, like if, if it just keeps going on, um, then, you know, eventually you've got a pattern, exactly. eventually you've got a problem. But if you, if you are able to, to, you know, look at a clearly demarcated thing and just say, you know what, I'm getting a master's degree right now. And that's going to take me 24 months. And then at the end of 24 months, I will have more time because yeah. I will not be in this program anymore. And I can do X, Y, Z. Great. That, that actually makes perfect sense. So I think the key is understanding that it can't be a permanent condition that it's not the right time. You just have to figure out when the right time is and mm. then schedule it. Perfect. And finally, Dory, please, to my listeners, give some words of wisdom um, from someone who honestly has achieved a lot in a very short space of time, who has obviously had some obstacles, you know, yourself, who've gone through the thick and the thin of things. Some words of wisdom for someone who wants to step out of their comfort zone, who wants to go forward, who wants to make things happen now. It's, it's you know, they've been in a bubble or whatever. Now it's time to get shit done. Please yes. speak to that person. Any words of wisdom, golden nuggets that literally will get them from A to where they want to go. Nice. All right. Well, I'll give I'll give them an assignment. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. So so it's a twofold assignment. So step one is. Um, I have I have this this free resource, which is the 88 question entrepreneurial use self-assessment. And so I would suggest that people can download it. Um, they can get it right off my website. It's doryclark.com, D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. They can download it for free. And I would I would suggest that if they're interested, they can take the self-assessment and really start thinking, start creating 
and ideas or a vision for themselves about where they might want to develop their business or take it in the future. Um, for, first, you need, you need the vision, right? And it helps you drill down into what would be some possibilities in terms of monetizing your expertise and how to get started with that. And the second part is finding an accountability partner because it can be really hard to stay on track and on task if you're doing it all by yourself. And so if you have somebody that you can turn to, that can, that can really kind of help hold your feet to your fire. So I would say if you can identify a friend that is similar minded to you, some, somebody who cares about self-improvement, you know, somebody who is going to be encouraging enough you know, you don't you don't want somebody as an accountability partner that's just like, oh, you know, bollocks, you couldn't have done it anyway. You know, <laughs> like you just you need you need somebody who's who's gonna you know be like, you know, yes, you can do it. And also, like, hey, last week you told me you'd make three phone calls. Why did you not make these three phone calls? You need somebody who's gonna call you on stuff. But if you if you have that and you can if you can fill that role for each other, it it helps you move faster along the path for sure. Dory, it has been an honor today and i will put um dory's website details below whatever you're listening to this um because definitely her newsletter is definitely worth it go and buy her books honestly i got this one today as a as a thing uh what do you call this uh, a present for <laughs> attending today and i'm going to start reading it today yes um reinventing you really has changed my mind on things my thinking my 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 way of doing things and i couldn't be more grateful to you dory for literally writing these books and getting your ideas down on paper to helping so many people go from where they are to where they want to be and how to do that um so dory i want to say thank you a billion times for joining me today you have been an incredible speaker and i am and I, I mean, I just can't say thank you enough. So thank you for giving me the time to, to share your ideas and information on this podcast. And if there's any other last things you'd like to say, please do so. Otherwise, thank you. Thank you back. I appreciate it, honey.